Well, let's begin our time in the, in the Word of God with a, a word of prayer. Lord, as we have sung in, in just recent songs of Your greatness, I, I pray that You'd give us a sense of that all the time. At least the foundation of the Gospel is, is just how great and how holy and how awesome You are. As a result, how sinful we are in comparison. Well, compared to people, we can seem pretty good. But compared to You, Lord, we are lost and undone. Except for Christ. And in that, Lord, we do rejoice. I pray that we would rejoice greatly. I pray, Lord, as we open Your Word now, that You would help me this morning to be faithful, Lord, to bring the the Spirit of Your words upon us. Um, Not merely to um, exposit accurately words, but also catch the the heart and flavor of what it is that You delight to communicate to us. Uh, I would pray for these words as they are hard and they are sharp and they are stinging, as are all the words of Malachi. Uh, I pray, Lord, that they would come with the sting when appropriate. And yet, God, I pray also it would come with the grace when needed. And so with these things, we simply lift them up to You and pray that You would bless and honor our our next 50 minutes and hour together. Um, Lord, that You would be exalted in all ways. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, throughout the history of the church, throughout the history of Israel, throughout the history of God's people, there's always been a need for spiritual leaders to arise and lead the people of God. Always a need for that. And those who lead God's people need to lead them His way. God's leaders need to be godly. God needs to be at the center of their lives. God needs to be at the center of their thinking. God needs to be at the center of their passions. God needs to be at the center of their homes and their marriages. He needs to be at the center of their words. They need to lead with sacrifice. Jesus said, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be a servant. Right? Servant leadership is a way to go, to give of yourself to others and so lead others in the right way. Leaders that are godly need to promote righteous living. Righteous living begins with the cross of Christ where we can get our our righteousness. Righteous living continues in following the Lord by faith. And those who lead the people of God need to lead in the ways of God. They're not to promote themselves. They're to promote God. They aren't to lead in such a way that people follow them. They're to lead in such a way that they follow God along with them. It's always been the need for the people of God to have strong, committed, godly leaders. Now, the Bible's full of such men. When you think of the Bible, you think about godly leaders. Do any come to mind? Who comes to mind when you think about a godly leader? Moses is a good one. Joshua. Any others come to mind? David is a great one. Who? Daniel is a great leader, absolutely. Paul, good. Others, Hezekiah, Josiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, in their days, a godly leader. God was faithful to bless His people. But sadly, in the course of human history, the story is told when leaders failed in their leadership. And when leaders failed in their leadership, the people of God 
went down. Maybe you can remember, think about the Bible, think about some leaders who failed in their leadership. Any come to mind? David in some sense, yes. Who? Jeroboam, absolutely. Saul, good. Samson, very good. Ahab, Eli's sons. You just go on and on and on with the the people who fail to lead in a right way. The book of Judges, in fact, describes in great detail what happens when there are no leaders in the land. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And the people of God fail. It's a need always for strong leadership in the life of the people of God. And those who failed, as a result of their failures, life was difficult for them. The Lord's blessing was removed from them. Well, today in our text, in Malachi chapter 2, verses 1-9, through 9, we'll find Israel in one of the difficult times. Their leaders, their priests had failed in their duties. As a result, the people followed. As a result of the people following, God's curse was upon them. Well, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. This morning we're looking at the first nine verses of this chapter. Let me set the whole thing in context by reading it. <clears throat> and now you, and now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already, because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I am going to rebuke your offspring. I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts. And you will be taken away with it. And then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but showing partiality in instruction. Well, as you can tell from the very first verse that we have here this morning, these words are directed towards the priests of Malachi's day. All right, look at how verse 1 begins. And this commandment is for you, O priests. The priests were singled out and identified as the recipients of these very difficult words that they would hear. Now, in actuality, if you've been paying attention these past few weeks, been going through Malachi, you know the priests have been in God's scope all along. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. It says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I'm a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name. And all the rest of chapter 1 is all about the priests who failed in their duties to lead the people of God. And fundamentally, when you look and say, okay, what is their failure? Their failure is they refused, they didn't honor the Lord, right? Look at verse 6. Where is my honor? 
That's the key. And they failed to honor Him in bringing defective sacrifices, contrary to the clear teaching of Leviticus. They failed to honor Him viewing their work as a drudgery, as verse 13 says. They failed to honor Him by failing to worship the Lord in accordance with His greatness. Verse 11 says that. Verse 14 says that. It should have been, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And they brought God low. And they said, God is worthy of these defiled sacrifices. You can offer those up. As a result of doing that and dishonoring the Lord, they despised the name of the Lord, verse 6. They defiled the Lord, verse 7. They profaned the name of the Lord, verse 12. All in all, their actions brought great dishonor to the Lord. In our application of these words in chapter 1 over the past few weeks, I've focused our attention upon applying it to the congregation. I mean, though these words are written to the leaders of the temple, I felt like it was appropriate to apply it to all of us. I mean, after, after all, what, what it was, it was these people bringing sacrifices to the priests. It was the people coming unworthily. And I felt the warrant to apply these words to the congregation. As all of chapter 1 deals with these people participating in worship. Now, to be sure, ultimately it was the priest's responsibility in allowing this and tolerating the sin in the camp. But the application to all of us was appropriate. But today, you know what, it's, it's a little bit different today. Today finds us in a little bit more difficult circumstance to apply it to a congregation because chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 are so directed towards the priests. In fact, these indictments and these reproofs and these examples that Malachi holds up are responsibilities of leadership. Verses 6 and 7 and 8 describe of the, the, the teaching and the leadership and the leading and the guiding and the responsibilities of the leaders in the church. And so this morning, you know what, my message isn't so much geared towards the hoi polloi. It's more geared to the leaders of this church. There are two elders, Gordy and I, so it's to you and me. We have two deacons, it's to Lance and it's to Doug. And so I'm preaching to you guys this morning because that is who it is. And maybe in a more special way, maybe preaching to Gordy and I as the elders who are really charged with <coughs> with the teaching, the leading, instruction, guiding and shepherding. And maybe more to me as I've generally been given the task on Sunday mornings. But, you know what, it, it can filter down to all of you as well. In recent days, we've begun to raise up some leaders in our flocks who are, are, are teaching those flock groups. Um, so we've divested that into some of the men of the congregation beginning to give teaching roles to people in the church. And so it's to all of you guys who are teaching leading flocks. This can also extend to leaders and teachers in the children's church who are leading there. It can also extend to parents who teach and lead their children. Okay, So everything, though I might be focused mainly upon pastors and teachers, it does filter down to all of us. And you all need to know what is the responsibility of leaders in the church. So don't feel like it's not appropriate to you. It is, it is very appropriate to you. It is interesting that one of the things that he will speak against the people here in, in Malachi is how they didn't lead. They didn't speak with truth on their, on their lips. And you might say, well, you know, there are, there are churches out there that, that have pastors that tickle the ears of people. But, but you know, as you think about that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, right? The people will gather for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. And I have found it's probably always the case. Where there are people who want their ears to be tickled, there will always be a man willing to stand and fulfill that role. And so the onus comes even upon congregations 
as they tolerate ear-tickling preaching. <clears throat> so that's the focus of our application this morning. Primarily, I'm going to direct it to the leaders, right? direct it to myself. But it will apply to all of us. Now, in our text this morning, the theme of honoring the Lord continues to be front and center. Look at verse 2. If you do not listen, if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. At stake here in chapter 2 is the honor of the Lord. My message this morning is appropriately entitled, right? You can guess it maybe, right? You've got it on your seat. Don't honor the Lord, part three. Because it's all been what it's about. The priests in Malachi's day had forgotten. And all who lead God's people need to keep front and center the honor of the Lord. That's my first point this morning. My message has two parts, right? My first point this morning is this. Be warned. Be warned, O leaders. Verses 1 through 4. Our warning is what they are. And the warning is this, is that we need to take it to heart to give honor to God's name. We need to learn a lesson from these words that God is jealous for His honor. This word translated honor here in Malachi and in chapter 2, verse 2, and in chapter 1, verse 6, is the Hebrew word kavod, which I know Jake knows what that means. What does it mean, Jake? It means heavy, weighty is what it means. God is heavy. God is weighty. And you know, this word normally isn't translated honor, but it is here. It is normally translated, do you know what? Think about it. Heavy. How's it translated normally? Glory. That's how it's translated. Glory. The Lord is jealous for His glory. You start taking away His glory and God becomes angry. I see this illustration oftentimes in our home. One child is playing with his toy or doll or Legos or skateboard or something. Another child comes and begins to take away a little bit of that. And what happens? Anger wells. And so also with God. You start tampering with His glory and God gets angry. Isaiah 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. God alone is to be worshipped. And when that doesn't take place, His anger burns and His curses come. And in chapter 2 here, we see the anger of the Lord coming. It's coming with a curse. Look again at verse 2. If you do not listen, if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you. You start chipping away at my honor and I'm going to bring my curse upon you. And in fact, as we've seen, these priests have been taken away from his honor. And so God says in verse 2, and indeed I have, <clears throat> and I will curse your blessings, and indeed I have cursed them already because you're not taking it to heart. See, when God brings a blessing upon a people, there's life and happiness and joy and peace and safety. And when God brings a curse upon people, there is death and there is misery and sadness and strife and danger. God's curse comes upon all who fail to give honor to the name of the Lord. And especially to those who lead others in failing to honor the Lord. I mean, you feel the weight of that, parents. 
curse comes upon you as you fail to lead your children in an honor of the Lord. You just need to conduct your home in a way that's worthy of the glory of God. Now, particularly in this text, we see the Lord says here in verse 2 that He's going to curse their blessings. These blessings were pronounced by the priests would actually result in curses. In the book of Numbers, the Lord gave the priests a blessing that they were to give for the people of Israel. Maybe you remember Numbers 6, 22 through 24, the priest lift up his hands. Right? Just picture it for me now. Lift up his hands. And maybe you know it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Right? You've heard that before? So right from the book of Numbers, it is the priestly blessing. And what God says is when your blessing comes out of your mouth, I've cursed your blessings. So it may be a blessing out of your mouth, but it's going to land as a curse. You ever seen on TV or video or something where somebody's talking and, and um, they say something, but somebody else has dubbed in something else? You ever seen that before? Oftentimes it's humorous. In this case, it's not humorous at all. But imagine a priest standing up to the people, putting his hands up and saying, The Lord curse you and abandon you. The Lord's anger come upon you and be hostile towards you. The Lord lift up His wrath against you and give you strife. That's what this says. I will curse your blessings. These priests failed to give honor to the Lord. The goodwill that they would even maybe say came poorly and badly and with a curse. Now, these actions that God says are entirely consistent with the Lord revealed to Israel. And think about the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. Just right there. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. You fail to bring me honor, I will visit your iniquity. Your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren will feel the effects of your sin to these priests who lead others astray. And to these priests, I mean, it was even told specifically to them that a curse would come upon them. Leviticus 22, verses 2 and 3, the Lord says this, Tell Aaron and his sons to be careful with the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so as not to profane my holy name. I am the Lord. And what was the fundamental thing that these priests were failing to do? Failing to be careful with the holy gifts that were given to them. If they weren't careful, it says there, I would not, so as not to profane my holy name. And again, that's the same terminology used in chapter 1, verse 12, profaning the name halal. It just means to pollute and defile the name of the Lord. If you're not careful with His holy things, treating Him as holy, you're going to defile His name. And that says in the next verse, Say to them, <clears throat> here it is, If any man among all your descendants throughout your generations approaches the holy gifts which the sons of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from before me. I am the Lord. In other words, if the priest failed to come before the Lord was commanded, a curse would come. The people would be cut off. The priests would be cut off from the people. So, so the words of God's curse here shouldn't have become as a great surprise to them. They should have known that a curse was coming. They should have known that right, they're worshiping God less than He deserved and their iniquity would come to their offspring and that God would remove them. In fact, that's exactly what verse 3 says. Look at this. 
Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring. <clears throat> your offspring, your, your seed, your posterity will feel this. And I will spread refuse in your faces, the refuse of your feasts. And, and here it is. You'll be taken away with it. You'll be taken away. You'll be cut off. You'll be removed. He's just fulfilling His promise of what He said. You fail to honor me, I'll wipe you away. I want you to see this middle phrase here though. I will spread refuse in your faces. To understand these words, you need to understand the sacrifice. The burnt offerings... Leviticus chapter 1 says that uh, everything burned up in fire upon the Lord. But the sin offering is a little bit different. There you slaughter the animal. The meat you take aside for the priest. The fat and the kidneys and the liver you put upon the altar. But the hide and the outside part and the entrails and the refuse you take out of the camp. Because it, God doesn't want that sacrifice. You take it out of that camp and you burn it over there. Now the refuse, you know what that is. That's like everything inside of you. Particularly, it's probably talking about your digestive system. So you eat something. It sits in your stomach for a while. And you know what happens to stuff that sits in your stomach for a while? Kids, you know what happens to that? Sometimes when it comes up, you, 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 you throw up. That's what he's talking about. And you know what happens to food as it goes all the way through your digestive system and then you sit on the toilet and it, it goes out. You, you, that is, you know what that's about, right? why there's various translations. ESV and King James translate this. We're using the word dung. It's eliminated. The refuse. The New American Standard is a footnote here in the refuse and says maybe vomit. It's just everything that's coming up and down the digestive tract. Okay, hold, hold that for a second. Okay, we'll come back to that. We need this. In our culture, there is a, a tradition in which we humiliate people. Sometimes we take a pie... Pie tin, and we take out some shaving cream. We go, right? And what do we often do with that? You smear it in people's faces, right? You know, I've been the object of getting a pie in my face on several occasions. And it's always been kind of a fun, festive occasion. I think a couple years ago, um, the Awana leader, Elam Baptist Church, where many of our kids go to Awana, called me and said, hey, you know, um, but just, just wondering if you'd be willing to have a pie in your face. You know, the, 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 the league or the group, I forget what it was, who raised the most cans for the Rockford Rescue Mission. We'll kind of give them an honor. One of them will be able to throw the pie in the face of a surprise person. Could you be that surprise person? I said, yeah. And it was, it was really fun, you know, and uh, you kind of pick the pie and you smash it. it it's a gross. I, I've had my pie, pie in my face several times. It's kind of fun. It is, you know, it is kind of gross when it gets in your eyes, it gets up your nose and gets in your mouth, you know, wipe it off. It's in your hair and you just can't, can't quite get it out, right? All right. Now let's take refuse, okay? Your vomit, stuff your toilet, sewage, and just slop it here on a pie. And then have that put in your face. How would you like that? Think of the smells. Think of, the, think of it coming. You taste it. You sm- it's up your nose. You're smelling it. Are you grossed out? Good. Because that's exactly what God wants here. He wants the priests just to be appalled at how awful the curse is coming upon them. I will spread refuse, vomit, feces on your face. He's here even saying the refuse of your feast. Maybe you've eaten so much, you've thrown up. 
Right? The sewage, what's left over after your feces, and they throw it into your face. That is disgusting stuff. But such is the curse that will come upon leaders who fail to lead the people of God in the honor and glory of God. And feel that, leaders. Feel that, parents. Feel that all who would teach and lead the people of God, counsel the people of God. And then in verse 4, God says, well, here's, here's my sort of proof that I'm showing I'm concerned about my honor. Then you will know when I do this, right, when priests are disgraced, that I sent this commandment to you that my covenant may continue with Levi. He says, I want you to know that I am concerned about my honor. That when I disgrace the priest publicly, you will know that it's all about my honor. That I can't stand it when priests take away my honor. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 10, Oh, that there were one among you who'd shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, nor will I accept your offering. Right? Better to shut the temple down than that you offer up worthless sacrifices to me. And I'm going to remove priests from the way rather than them offering up sacrifices to my name. And with them gone, displeasing sacrifices will be removed as well. And so when you see a man in the ministry shamed publicly for his sins, know that in some measure God desires and delights to see in that. He says, that man has stood in pulpits and he's proclaimed my name He has demonstrated himself to be a hypocrite. I want to shame him for all to see. That's what he's saying here. I want to shame these leaders. I'm not just going to kind of take him away quietly behind the scenes. I'm going to bring him out for all to see. Smear the sewage all over his face. Cut him off so that all will know. And so when a leader of a large evangelical organization is exposed for having homosexual relationships with a male prostitute for years. Shame ought to come upon that man. But the sad thing is, though, that oftentimes it's the public, non-believing media that brings the shame. Perhaps it ought to be the believing community that say, we denounce such hypocrisy. See, in the church, it's the same way. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Don't receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. But those who continue to sin, elders confronted of their sins, refusing their counsel, wanting to follow after their sin, Paul tells Timothy, rebuke in the presence of all so that all the rest also will be fearful of sinning. Rebuke strongly the leader who is unrepentant. The purpose of doing so is that other leaders might be fearful of sinning as well. See, God has a high view of those serving as leadership in the church. Those who aspire to be elders, the fine work they desire to do. 1 Timothy 3.1 And those serving well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing, a great confidence in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. But those who fail to lead the congregation in giving honor ought to be rebuked in the greatest of ways. Even sewage slop thrown in their faces. They continue in obstinance and rebellion against the Lord. So this is saying. It's a heavy warning that comes here. And then he says at the end of verse 4, I'm going to remove these priests, right? But I'm going to be faithful to my covenant with Levi, that my covenant may continue here with Levi. Now you think about the Levites, 
you think about the law, they were given charge over all the things of maintaining the tabernacle, setting it up, breaking it down, <clears throat> carrying it in the wanderings. When Israel came into the promised land, the Levites were appointed an inheritance. It's the temple's it because the Lord is their inheritance. They were in charge of the holy things. And God wasn't going to give up on the Levites to serve before Him with the sacrifices. Oh, He's done with these particular priests and these are done. But He's going to continue on with this covenant of Levi is what it says in verse 4. And though these priests may have been unfaithful in maintaining the honor of the Lord and they would be removed, He wasn't going to throw away the sacrificial system in toto. No, He's going to raise up other priests to take their place. I mentioned last week, Nadab and Abihu. When they brought strange fire before the Lord... God burned him on the spot, took him away, and instantly raised up Eleazar and Ithamar. Another example, Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. When they proved themselves to be worthless men who despised the offering of the Lord, the Lord struck down those two priests and promised, 1 Samuel 2, verse 35, to raise up a faithful priest who would, will do according to all that is in God's heart. It says, Hophni and Phinehas, you guys are done. But I'm going to raise up another one. In Jeremiah's day, the entire land was defiled due to leadership. Jeremiah 23, verse 11, Both prophet and priest are polluted. Even in my house I have found their wickedness, declares the Lord. Right? Even in, my, even in the temple I have found their wickedness. As a result, the Lord drove them away into exile. He shut the temple down for 70 years. But He didn't abandon His covenant with Levi. He brought back Levites into the land. In fact, when the people of Israel came back to land, the temple was rebuilt. It was the Levites who were appointed to oversee the work of the house of the Lord, Ezra 3.8. And, and you know what? The parallels here with the church are many. Certainly, there will be those in the church who lead the people of God astray. One of the most scary verses in the Scripture to me is Acts 20, when Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders. He says, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, probably elders who are here now will rise up and will lead people astray following after them, right? They'll become, hey, you come follow me, right? And missing the honor of the Lord. Leading people astray. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 7, Paul warned Timothy of such men who want to be teachers even though they do not understand what they're saying about the things they make confident assertions about. He said they're, they're being led aside to fruitless discussions, endless genealogies, Leading to speculation rather than the furthering the administration which is by faith. These men fail to lead the people in love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And these men, as Paul told Timothy, are to be rebuked. Don't let them teach these things. You rebuke them. Remove them. Don't let the church of God be followed after those places, people. You know, the Lord has promised to build His church, Matthew 16, verse 18, but it doesn't extend to every local church. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus writing to the church at Ephesus says, Repent or else I'm coming to you and I'll remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. I think that has a, a ring to removing the leaders or removing the church. But you know what? The promise of Christ to build His church remains strong and true. He's going to build His church. But you know what? There's no promise He's going to build each and every local church. And I think that's parallel here with the priests. The priests were defiling the name of the Lord. He's going to remove those priests, but He's going to be faithful to Levi and still continue on with His sacrifices. 
And so church leaders, flock teachers, children's church teachers, future leaders, parents, anyone takes the word of God and teaches it. Be warned, God is jealous for his glory. Be warned, his wrath will come upon those who aren't faithful in leading the people of God to give appropriate honor to God. Well, that's been a heavy point. And the second point is, is, is heavy as well, but there's hope. My second point is this, verses 5 through 9. Be faithful. Be faithful. Here he kind of turns the corner and he begins to paint. Okay, this is, you, you priests have messed up, right? You're, you're, you're being cursed. Here's what I want you to be. He's painting a picture of what he wants you to be. He says, my covenant with him, my, my covenant with Levi was one of life and peace. Now, there's difficulty in understanding what this is referring to. All right? It's just just difficulty. I mean, we have a description of the covenant that God made with Adam. Some debate whether it's a covenant or not. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not exactly sure. But he did make some kind of vocal agreement with Adam. He says, from the tree of the garden, any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day you eat of it you shall surely die. promise he made. Some people call it a covenant. Some people don't see a covenant there. That's okay. But at least it was something he's communicated with Adam. With Noah, he made a covenant. I establish my covenant with you and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. Genesis 9 verse 11. A covenant with Noah that extended to everybody. I'm not going to destroy the earth again by water. It's the covenant there. When the rains come, you don't have to worry about the floods rising up over all your houses all across the earth like it did in the days of Noah. God made a covenant with Abraham. I will establish my covenant between you and your descendants after you throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. The sons of Abraham have been chosen to be the people of God. And by faith in Christ now, we also are sons of Abraham, as Galatians says. God made a covenant with David. You can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Right When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Obviously looking forward to pointing to Christ, the greater son of David who would rise up to have the kingdom forever. We have a description of the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, this is a covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them and on their heart I'll write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God promises to give us an eternal, internal love for the Word. He's done that in the new covenant through Christ. But nowhere in Scripture do we have recorded for us this covenant with Levi. Nowhere do you say, Levi, I promise this and this and this and this. So it's, it's hard to know exactly what the covenant of Levi is. In Deuteronomy 33, there's mention of the covenant. In Nehemiah 13, verse 29, Nehemiah mentions a covenant with the priesthood and the Levites. So there's some mention about it. But none of the passages are as clear as they are right here that mentions the covenant of Levi three times in verse 4, in verse 5, and in verse 8. Now, some would say this refers to a man named Phineas. Not Hophni and Phineas. This is a different Phineas. This is a great guy. Numbers chapter 25. You want to be encouraged by the zeal of a man, you read about Phineas in Numbers 25. This man was zealous for the honor of the Lord. Israel was encamped at Shittim. They began to play the harlot. 
the daughters of Moab, they sacrificed to their gods. And so God instructed Moses, you kill everyone who's followed after the, the false god. So they kill all these people, deaths in the camp, thousands of people dead because of their immorality and because of their worship of other gods. Israel's weeping at the camp, crying, perhaps repentantly, confessing their sins. And in comes this Israelite man with a Midianite woman into the tent to have some fun. And um, before Aaron and before Moses and before all the people, blatantly showing forth his uh, disregard for the honor of the Lord. And Phineas was fuming mad, picked up a spear, opened up the tent and went in and pierced them both, killing them on the spot. Because they were defiling the honor of the Lord. As a result of that, the plague was checked at 24,000 people only. Had Phineas not arisen, perhaps more would have died. And then the Lord spoke to Moses saying this, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. So I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Why is he jealous? Because they're following false gods, taken away from his honor. He says, Therefore, say, Behold, I give him my covenant of peace. It shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. And there we see a covenant that God makes with a Levite. And many will say that this is the the covenant of Levi. And some of the difficulty is that that Levi was the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron. So he's like the grandson of of Aaron who was a descendant of Levi. And so it's only like a a small covenant with a small portion of Levi. But it could be. We don't really know. But we do know enough. We think about the flavor of the law and everything I said. We do know the Levites were entrusted with the holy things of God. And I think just even understanding that's enough to understand what this covenant with Levi is. It's some kind of promise to these Levites to bless them with life and peace should they continue to honor the Lord. The result, verse 5, says it will be life and peace. Just as to Phineas, it was a covenant of priests. It would be life and peace for the priests. It would be life and peace for the people. The blessing of the Lord is upon those leaders who walk rightly with Him. And so, I urge you, I exhort you, leaders... Future elders, future deacons, flock leaders, teachers, parents, to be faithful. Be faithful. In verses 5 through 7, he paints a picture of the the faithful leader, the faithful ministry. Look at what he says. He says, I gave them to him, and maybe this is Phineas, we don't know. Maybe it's Levi, we don't know. We just don't know enough about these men to see whether exactly these were. But he's almost saying, "Here's, here's what I gave to this man who I covenanted with. I gave them to him as an object of reverence, and so he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. The lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. He is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. It's painting a picture of the faithful priest. And so, as I close my message, try to close my message today, I want to go through these characteristics. I found eight of them. I want to run through each of them quickly. There's a lot. But each of these characteristics of the ideal priest, or maybe what Levi was like, or maybe what Phineas was like, is a picture of what a faithful spiritual leader looks like. A faithful ministry, first of all, will fear the Lord. 
Verse 5, I gave them to him as an object of reverence, and so he revered me and stood in awe of my name, fearing the Lord. You know, a a leadership that thinks little of God will cultivate people with a little God. And a leadership that has a high view of God will cultivate a people with a big God. And where God is viewed highly, God will be honored. You want to dishonor the Lord? Well, just preach a little God. And when you don't fear the Lord, you have a little God. And you can preach a little God. But the fear of the Lord is what needs to be upheld by all spiritual leaders. Right? The fear of the Lord is the most basic fundamental attitude that any of us will have in the Christian life. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the most basic thing in Christian living. It's the most basic thing in Christian ministry. We must always maintain a healthy fear of the Lord. A fear of the Lord gives us a zeal for ministry like Phineas had. A fear of the Lord drives you to your knees in prayer because you realize how dependent we are on Him. Gordy said at our prayer time this morning before the service, he said... Um, kind of as we're towards the end, if you don't think that we are dependent upon the Lord for all things, I don't know what you're thinking in our prayer time because we just shared prayer requests and prayer requests are huge need for God. You need to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord will cause you to walk humbly because you know how big He is. will cause you to tremble at His Word, seeking guidance from it. The fear of the Lord will seek His glory above all else. Right? When we fear the Lord, we are fearful of what will happen should we take away any of His glory. The fear of the Lord gives us motivation to live a holy life because our heart and our desire is to serve Him and to please Him. The fear of the Lord will give you reason to cling to Christ. We have no hope standing before God apart from the shield of Christ who helps us and protects us and guides us and prays for us and gives us His righteousness. When you fear the Lord, that's where Christ comes in. The fear of the Lord will... Lead us to tell others of Christ, right? Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, 2 Corinthians 5.11. We persuade others to believe because we ourselves believe that we have no hope before an awesome and holy and terrible God except from Christ. Well, a faithful ministry will fear the Lord. A faithful ministry will secondly teach the truth. That's in 6a. True instruction was in his mouth. And this pleased the Lord. I mean, this is a, this is a commendation. When the priest taught, he was true. When the priest taught, It was to be true to the law of God. You know, one of the things that we just need to keep in mind always as a church, as a teacher, is that we need to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I mean, isn't that the oath that people swear when they come and be a witness on the stand? Do you promise to tell the whole truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? I mean, think about that. That is is the truth. That's exactly what's right. And that's the whole truth. You're You're not falling back from the truth. You're telling the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. You're not going beyond the truth. You are, as I like to say, you're towing the line of Scripture. You're not going beyond. You're not falling back. In the days of Jesus, the Pharisees went beyond with all their oral tradition, the Talmud. They, they talked about what you could do on the Sabbath, how far you could walk on the Sabbath, how are you supposed to wash your hands before you eat. And Jesus said, your traditions have caused you to neglect the Word of God. They told more than the truth. And the Sadducees told less than the truth. They believed only the Pentateuch. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Didn't believe in the Spirit. Didn't believe in angels. As a result, we're like liberals today. The Pharisees are like legalists today. We need to be on the middle. Tell the truth. 
A church leader preaches or teaches or counsels or guides. It must be the truth that comes from his lips. Away with opinions, away with falsehood, in with the truth. Thirdly, a faithful ministry will talk with righteousness. Right? Middle of verse 6 there, right? Unrighteousness was not found on his lips. It means he speaks what is righteous, what is right. He speaks with integrity, honesty. He speaks what's appropriate. A spiritual leader will not allow filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting to come from his mouth. Rather, the giving of thanks will ever be on his lips. Righteous talk is more than simply clean talks that doesn't use these naughty words. That's not righteous talk. I mean, that's, that's a step towards righteous talk and you don't use those words, but righteous talk even goes beyond to say the things that are talked about are edifying, encouraging sorts of words. Speaking highly of God, building up others of the words, encouraging God-honoring words. Charles Spurgeon said, Consider yourself, after all, as being very much responsible for the conversation which goes on where you are. Righteous words will take the conversation, the whole thought structures, the whole meaning of everything and direct it righteously. That's righteous talk. A faithful ministry will fourthly walk with God. Middle of verse 6. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. This metaphor walking with God is, is often used throughout the Scripture. It just means living. Living before God. Walking before God. Walking with God as Enoch did. Noah walked with God. Describes the one who lives in accordance with the ways of God. You know, when, um, when God gave manna to the people... He said, this is to test them to see whether they will walk in my ways or not. A priest ought to walk with God. It means living every day with the Lord's presence ever before you, rejoicing always, praying at all times, in everything giving thanks, constantly communing with the Lord. It means being sensitive to the leading of God. It means filtering all of life through Scripture and what God has revealed, the truth of God, and responding appropriately Certainly, it, it implies a measure of righteousness. But you know, it also implies a measure of um, confession and contrition. David was a man after God's own heart who walked with the Lord. But was he perfect? He wasn't perfect. But he was repentant. And, and so the one who walks with God walks with God. And if he starts failing, getting off, he'll say, God, uh, help me, I'm wrong. And confessing his sin, pleading the cross of Christ, will come back. And God will line them up and go, okay, let's walk in this way. That's what a priest ought to do. A priest ought to be one who walks with God. Fifthly, a faithful ministry would be one who turns others from iniquity. That's last half, last part of verse 6. And he turned many back from iniquity. <clears throat> now, when we initially think about turning many back from iniquity... <clears throat> Instantly comes to mind prophets, right? I mean, their message all throughout the Bible is, is repent, repent. They're always telling people to turn back and turn back. But just because the prophets were speaking that didn't say that the priests don't have that responsibility either. The priests were called to turn people back from iniquity. The life of the priest was to walk with God so that others might see what godliness looks like. Have righteous talk so that others would hear of how a godly man thinks. Speak the truth of God, which if followed would lead people away from their sin and into righteousness. You know, due to sin, people all across the world really um, find themselves in difficulties of their lives. And these times, oftentimes, they'll turn to someone for help. And blessed is the spiritual leader 
who can be that help, who can direct them away from their sin and to and towards righteousness. That's what a priest should be. I was recently shown a verse in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Uh, Dan Herman actually showed me this verse. It, it's a wonderful verse. It speaks about the blessing upon those who lead many in the ways of righteousness. It says The verse says that they will shine brightly like the expanse of heaven, and they will be and shine forth like stars forever. Eternal blessings come to those who are in the business of sharing the gospel and seeing others come to Christ following the way of righteousness. You know, Dan has written this book. He just gave it to me beforehand. He didn't know I was going to kind of include this verse. Eternal life. The Bible says about eternal life. He's distributed, what do you say, about a thousand of these things? What did you say? Four thousand of these things he's put away. He's put in prisons in different places. And they said he got an email. When did you get this email? Wednesday. Let me just read a little bit of this. This guy was going into a, a boy's, I don't know, a boy's detention home. Okay, Maybe Dan, why don't you come up here and tell a story? <laughs> I just want to read a little bit. He says, he went in there and he said, last week I asked the Lord if he would be possible to bring at least one person to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And then he make the group small. This makes it easier to focus on one or two people as they appear to be really seeking him. The Lord blessed me with four young men one who had just accepted the Lord two days ago on Easter Sunday. I asked him what happened. This is how he got saved. He said he'd been going. He had been going this pamphlet he had in his room that was on eternal life. He said someone from a church had written it, but he could not remember who. He said he went through it quite thoroughly and finally got to the page that invited you to pray and accept the Lord as your Savior. He said this is what he did and had been truly wanting to do, but never knew how. I could tell by talking with him he really did accept Jesus. The joy of his salvation showed in everything he said. I think we all know where he got that booklet on eternal life from. What a blessing it is to have had the Lord use you, Pastor Dan, in writing that booklet and using it here at the detention home. I find it extremely helpful. You know, that is blessing. And I talked to Dan. We had lunch together recently. Just You know, you want to stir his heart. You just ask him about this booklet, Eternal Life Ministries, vision to lead many from unrighteousness to righteousness. It's a great blessing upon that. And that's what a priest should do. That's what spiritual leaders should do. They should turn others from iniquity. Number six, a faithful ministry should treasure up knowledge. It comes from the beginning of verse 7. The lips of a priest should preserve knowledge. And particularly Malachi here is talking about the knowledge of God. Okay, there's no particular use in a priest being an expert in farming or construction or water purification or the bulls or the bears or the cubs. I mean, we need farmers and we need construction workers. We need water purification people for the continuance of civilization. It's very important. But for a priest, that's not the knowledge he needs. He needs the knowledge of God's Word. He needs to be an expert in it, filled with it, so he can teach others and tell others. It should be memorized, right? It should be meditated upon. It should be consumed with him. You ever met people who are consumed with something? All they can talk about is this thing. It's because that's where their mind is. And so also priests, spiritual leaders ought to be consumed, treasuring up knowledge in them. They could be a storehouse of wisdom and knowledge. So that, verse 7, men should seek instruction from his mouth. A faithful ministry will instruct the seekers. simply implies that those looking for eternal truth, eternal life, eternal values of things, should seek it from a priest. They should be filled with the knowledge of God and His ways. But this seems to be applying more than that. It appears that the obligation is upon this priest of the days of, of um, Malachi to be so knowledge-filled and stirred with that and, 
and in love with God and His Word, that people would seek it from Him. He has a responsibility not to be just a, a, a teacher of those who come. He needs to be one who attracts people. Men should seek Him, right? And they should see that, I, I want to I be like that man. I want to be close to Him. I, I want to hear the wisdom that flows from His life. I want to live a life like this man. I want to learn from this man so I can be like Him. Treasure up knowledge. Because when people come, priests in their days, spiritual leaders in our days, and they speak forth from their well of knowledge, they'll instruct people how to live. People will go away from them with a greater sense of God. They'll hear and marvel at God's grace and kindness to them in Christ. They'll receive answers to their questions. They'll want to be like Him. A faithful ministry will be a ministry that will attract those who are genuinely wanting to hear. Perhaps you remember the old commercials of, um, of, a, of a crowded restaurant. And um, you know everybody's bistling and talking about, and these two guys are talking across the table, talking about just their finances and their, um, you know, their portfolios and investment counselors. And the one guy then says, well, my, my, um, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, and you remember what happened in those commercials? Use your older, probably remember, right? What do you The whole restaurant quiets down. Waiters and waitresses stop and go, you know, uh, people walking along the side of the streets, cars stop, you know, and everybody's listening. What does E.F. Hutton say? What does he say? That's what God was calling these priests to be. That's what he's calling spiritual leaders to be. And the sad thing about E.F. Hutton is E.F. Hutton is no longer in business. <laughs> I think they give bad counsel and bad advice. I don't know the story behind it. Maybe Phil and probably you know the story. Was it bad counsel and bad advice? Okay, bad counsel, bad advice. You know what? That's what the priests were. People were maybe listening to the priests and they gave bad counsel and bad advice and led many astray. Right? That's verse 8. But as for you, you've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi. They strayed him. And now Eve Hutton? Where's Eve Hutton? It's nowhere to be seen. So likewise with these Levitical priests. Well, at the end of verse 7. Another faithful ministry should fear the Lord, teach the truth, talk with righteousness, walk with God, turn others from iniquity, treasure up knowledge, instruct the seekers here to speak for God. He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's how the Lord made the world. He left us His word. He left us His servants who are about the business of taking His word and being His messenger to the world. Leaders in the church are messengers of the Lord of hosts. They speak for God. Now, you get this wrong or you get this right, okay? You get it wrong if you think that the words of a pastor are the words that God is giving to the world. The words of God! You get it right if you say the words of a pastor are the words that God has given to this world. In other words, a pastor is a God's messenger. His word, God has revealed Himself to us. We are to go and tell others. We're mailmen, we're delivery boys, we're couriers. That's all we are. No self-respecting mailman will take the envelope that's sent to 123 Sesame Street and will open it up and change the message and fold it and seal it and then give them a changed message. That man's not faithful to his job. He's not a messenger. He's speaking instead of them and putting lies in the person's mouth. No, we are mailmen. We are, as Randy Alcorn said, FedEx guys. That's who we are. Our authority runs out when God's Word runs out. 
Well, that's a faithful ministry. A faithful ministry will do all these things. Unfortunately, the priests in Malachi's day failed miserably. They're like E.F. Hutton. As for you, you've turned aside from the way, verse 8. You've caused many to stumble by the instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And then God says, I've cast you off, verse 9. So I've also made you despised and abased before all the people. And we've seen these things come up before. Right? That's in the middle of verse 3. That's what he's talking about. Being despised and abased. Right? People don't respect you any longer. You've missed it. And I've done that just as you're not keeping my ways, right? You're not walking with God. You're not fearing the Lord. You're not talking with righteousness. You're not treasuring up knowledge. You're not instructing the seekers. You're not speaking for God. Rather, you are not keeping my ways. You're showing partiality in instruction. You're not bringing the whole truth. You're bringing partial truth. Rather than turning people to God, their lives have directed them away from the Lord. Rather than teaching them in the ways of God, their teaching led them down the paths of destruction I'll tell you, verses 8 and 9 really are a great summary of the entire section. As for you, priests, you've failed. You've turned others to fail. And so I've shamed you and removed you and taken you away. Well, I want to close with, with one more verse. I, I've alluded to this already. But it is really something that gives us hope because I put this before those who are leaders in the church those who are future leaders, parents, it it may just be this. You think about this list of all the things a faithful ministry would be. You said, man, I I don't fear the Lord as I thought, as I ought. Or the truth isn't on my lips. I I don't treasure up knowledge. I'm not walking with God. And you can just have be sunk down with failure. It's it's the law coming upon you. And that's not my heart. My heart is to say this. This is the picture of where we ought to strive for. And you know what? None of us will be this kind of priest. None of us will make it there. I know for myself, I'm convicted of these as well. I know how I need to do better at some of these. And I could be led to despair in seeing my failures. But you know what? I've got a repentant heart. I said, God, that's where I want to be. But ultimately, even there, I'm not going to make it. None of you guys are going to make it. But there is one priest who has come and has made it. I alluded to this verse earlier, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35. When Hophni and Phinehas were cast away, here's what God said, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what's in my heart and in my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed always. Who's that talking about? Talking about Christ himself, the high priest. Someday maybe we'll survey Hebrews or we'll see Hebrews speaks about his role as the high priest now. He is the priest that always satisfies God. He offered up the perfect sacrifice of himself. He offers up the perfect prayers now always for the sin for his people. Praying for them to find help and strength in time of need. Pleading the Lord would forgive their sins. He is the great high priest. He is the one who feared the Lord perfectly. He's the one who taught the truth Absolutely. He's the one that, walked, that talked with perfect righteousness. He's the one that walked with God all the time. He turned many from their iniquity. He treasured up great knowledge in his mind. He, he instructed the seekers and he spoke for God being God. And he's the model priest that we're all called to be faithful, to be like, right? And we, we need to follow the example of Christ. We need to be like that. But as you don't measure up, don't be discouraged, realizing that Christ has done it for us. But... Seek that. 
and seek to be faithful. And that's really my heart and my prayers, the people of Rock Valley Bible Church, those who lead and those who guide, and you parents and you children's church teachers would be like this, to be faithful. So be warned and be faithful. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would take these words, apply them deep to our hearts, that we would have faithful people here who love you, who treasure up your knowledge, who speak with others, who turn others astray, who turn others from their iniquity and turn them into righteousness. Lord, that's what we want. We desire to be a church where people are converted, come to Christ, learn how to walk with Christ. They would learn... um, learn much and follow after the ways of you that in every ways then our sacrifices we bring our sacrifices of praise be pleasing to you you'd say oh open the doors of rock valley bible church let them come in and let them sing forth my praise and our sacrifices would be worthy of you lord that we would bring the best lord that no ways we would profane your name your sanctuary your holiness So dig into us, God. May we not forget your honor. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.